Hello, this is Angelica Yingst, and you're listening to Centered, grounded conversations about the metaphysical. Today's episode of Centered features a conversation between Kira and I. Today, we're talking about the toxic relationship between narcissists and empaths. As an energy healer and tarot reader, I'm privy to intimate details from people's lives. Kira is a working therapist, a tarot reader, and she also talks to people all the time about the dynamics that are going on in their personal relationships. People often come to me to shift energy, change dynamics, figure out a path forward to healing, and they'll often talk about their childhoods, their romantic relationships, their friendships. Even in my own life, I've had friends and family describe their toxic relationship or talk about an ex or what they're going through, and they seem to be describing their partners as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I think this is just another empath trapped in the dark web of a narcissist. And it sounds like I'm dismissing these situations. They're really intense and really difficult to heal from. And often empaths will find themselves repeatedly in relationships with narcissists. So I just was really curious as to why, why does this happen to the nicest people, the kindest people, the most compassionate people? So I started doing a little research reading about this toxic pairing. I remember the first one I read about was in the elephant journal. And uh, I just went down a rabbit hole after that, following people on YouTube and on other social media platforms that specifically talk about this dynamic because it is so common. So I really began this conversation with Kira many years ago um, because I would start, I would just talk about narcissists like, oh, that guy is, you know, really sounds like he's a narcissist or on the spectrum of narcissism. And we'll talk a little bit about that in the episode. But, you know, Kira has training as a social worker and she's a therapist and she was frontline to these situations quite often uh, because she worked in domestic violence and in rape crisis. Um, So it just put her face to face with the darkest parts of this relationship. So I asked her, you know, would you like to talk about it for an episode? And she was a little hesitant actually at first because you know it is a complex situation and while we often will um just kind of talk about these issues um everybody has to heal you know there isn't a bad guy or a good guy and you'll hear us talking about that a lot we aren't blaming the abuser but we are saying there are things that we can do so we don't fall into as empaths um, that we don't fall into relationships with narcissists so i just wanted to make that little disclaimer because i think that you could listen to this episode and think that we're blaming the empath but I think we see the ability of the empath um, to change and to heal. Um, They're kind of more situated to be able to do that, whereas narcissists aren't um, as capable of self-awareness. Not to say there aren't narcissists who do heal. There there definitely is. But um, we're 
you know, interested in the empath. That's who come to see us most often. So let's just define this quickly. A narcissist is someone who is self-absorbed and they lack the ability to empathize with others. It's a personality disorder, but it's also a spectrum disorder. Um, and we do define this a little more in, in the, um, in the episode, they tend to get their worth through external means. Um, so I love this quote by Emily Levine because it kind of wraps this up. She said, I thought narcissism was about self-love until someone told me that there's a flip side to it. It's actually drearier than self-love. It's unrequited self-love. And I think that sort of encapsulates narcissism. An empath, on the other hand, finds it very easy to relate to other people's feelings. And they're defined by the fact that they feel what other people feel. They sometimes can't even discern their own feelings uh, because they care so much about other people's feelings that they put themselves on the back burner. And so you can see how this relationship could really feed each other. There are definitely shadow aspects of empaths and there's um you know we tend to put empaths on a pedestal in our community but um i just want you to know we have deep compassion for the empath um and you know especially because they're usually on the receiving end of this abuse but we are definitely holding empaths responsible for being able to change their behavior so i just want you to know that um you know, this is by no means a definitive study of the narcissist and the empath. We're just having a conversation and we're not claiming to be experts in any way, shape or form. So there's your second disclaimer. <laughs> um, but in case you forgot, we also have a record button on our anchor page. So if you have questions for us about something we talk about or something you just would like to know more about, um, please record a question. You can also email us at Angie at the moon and um, You can record on your phone and then email it to me at that same address. Um, you can find Kira at a1tarot.com and you can find me at angieinks.com. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the toxic relationship between empaths and narcissists. Maybe we should just define these terms that we're going to use because even like, so we're talking about narcissism, but we're talking about empath. And I think empath is one of those words too, that gets really confused. So let's start mm -hmm. with narcissist. Yeah. Um, the way I use narcissist, cause I think it's really misused and I even use it in ways that are probably misused, but it's narcissistic personality disorder is a personality disorder, but it's also considered a spectrum disorder so it has a continuum from like mild narcissistic tendencies to like malignant narcissism and so the way i define nar narcissist is it's a person who thinks of other people as objects mm -hmm. uh, rather than people and they use other people as ways to fulfill unmet needs of attention and admiration and idealization yeah. Is that, is that how you see it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they also they also get their worth from their partnerships, right? Yeah. Oh, well, from external, external oh. validation. Yeah. So it could be like, you know, their trophy wife, or it could be their nice car, or it could be their, their uh, degree, or it could be their, yeah, whatever. 
Yeah. And they do have some of the same tendencies, which is self-importance, um, lack Grandi. of empathy. Yeah. Delusions uh-huh. of grandiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Delusions of <laughs> delusions of grandeur. <laughs> they need admiration. Yes. Entitlement. Yeah. Shows yeah. arrogance. And then envious of others. Envious of others. Well, I think compare it comparing up to others all the time. Yeah. Yeah, like like pathologically envious and, and just constantly comparing. Well, and they really have a really uh, fragile kind of sense of identity a lot of times, because a lot of times right. they'll be like chameleons or like wear your skin sort of creepy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the wear your skin is, I don't know, it's just such a strong image for me. I, I like it because... And, oh my God, I understand. I've, I've had a couple believe it or not because and i think it's because of my ability to be like just completely gaslit and manipulated like i have had more than a couple wear your skin type of people yeah oh yeah like oh suddenly they have the same hair and everything yeah yeah so grody (laughs) um and that's the thing about narcissists is actually they kind of need an empath (laughs) you know they need the other side of the coin or the the cycle doesn't work you know yeah they need someone who has like maybe a lack of external confidence like they have but internally has like more of a developed sense of of self yeah so let's define an empath so and i you know i kind of go back and forth with this because sometimes like now I think more people are referring to them as highly sensitive people. Yeah. Yeah. But empaths are, you know, we kind of use it in the metaphysical community a lot and we act like it's like a gift and, you know, what's your (laughs) gift? Is it empathy? And like, it's funny because to me, empaths aren't born it isn't always a gift it's like usually a result of trauma Mm -hmm. because the hyper vigilance of another person's emotions is really a sign of like trauma exactly (laughs) well yeah and I mean really it's like I tell my clients who are who are empaths or who really identify that way all the time that it's like or do you have no boundaries right with with your emotions that it's like you feel like you are responsible for the emotions of others and that's why you're feeling them so strongly because it's it's my problem i need to be the manager of all of that and yeah you're exactly right like that comes from an abusive environment of like you know i'm this small child with you know neglectful or abusive or immature parents and i'm trying to manage their feelings yeah exactly (laughs) so i mean an empath how we define it is just someone who's really highly sensitive to other Mm -hmm. people's emotions and feels a deep empathy or uh compassion for other people and yeah often feel the emotions of other people as their own yeah that's where it becomes dark i think right well and i was gonna say um that I had found a thing that was talking about the difference too, even between like emotional empathy and cognitive empathy too, that it's like when you meet people, 
there's on one hand that they can appear to be an empath, but maybe not be. And then there's also the fact that empaths themselves, that doesn't necessarily mean not a predatory person. Right. Yes. I mean, to me, you know, empath and codependent are almost one and the same most of the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would say that usually when you talk to someone who's like, oh, I'm an empath, you're probably looking at, I have... A, codependency <laughs> yeah. issues and I mean, yeah a lot of people don't understand codependency because they think it only applies to like drug and alcohol um, oh yeah you know like being a partner or a parent or something um, by helping them use their substance of choice but it really is any relationship where someone's so invested in the other person that it becomes their identity exactly and oh my gosh I know so many people like that. And I've been in relationships that have been deeply good. I was going to say me. <laughs> you can almost think of it as like, if the other person is addicted to the self or the ego as a narcissist, the codependent is addicted to that person. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I've even seen situations because everyone thinks of the, the empath and narcissist dynamic as like the abusive narcissist, the codependent empath, just trying to like, you know, manage the narcissist's emotions. But what I've also seen is the abusive privacy invading any sense of agency stomping empath so to speak who is perhaps involved with a yeah maybe self-absorbed narcissist but that self-absorbed narcissist we're talking in the sense of like a three-year-old being self-absorbed right like the I, and I mean like yeah they are and I think that that also makes them the perfect target yeah yeah and I've seen that one quite a few times and it really gets missed. Yeah. I mean, not to talk in, uh, you know, kinkster terms, but it's like, <laughs> it's like topping from the bottom, you know what yes, I mean? Yes, like, topping like... from the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, seriously, um, I can't tell you you know, just, just with working with like different um, families and, and everything like that, there's, there's been a couple different dynamics, but there's, there's definitely been dynamics where like, you know, the, the, the father, for example, may be um, more narcissistic or the mother may be more narcissistic or, you know, one of the partners may be more narcissistic or whatever. And they, they appear to be in charge right like from an external point of view they appear to be like oh this is the one who makes money or this is the one who has the degree um and so you think that they're in charge right but they're not because they're they're bottoming from the top yeah. like yeah. <laughs> well you know um, it's interesting you see it in alcoholic families a lot where yeah. a narcissist is the alcoholic right where they're yeah. they're just distant and not there right right but the <laughs> the codependent or the the empath is the one going we have to get everything in order before your father gets home because if he sees anything, he's going to drink more, right? Like, you know, right. it's like every, now they're training their children to be little codependents, you know, and everything has to be perfect for the narcissist. And it ends up becoming like an abusive, neglectful 
situation for the children because their needs are getting ignored. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And for kids in those situations, it's so confusing because it's like, are you more angry at the codependent parent or the alcoholic parent? You know, it's like, because it's like, sometimes what can happen in those situations, I've had situations where a, a kid will feel really angry at the narcissistic parent who is maybe the actually less harmful one um, in terms of like overt harm. Right. Um, But they'll feel more angry at that one because it almost feels safer to be angry at that one. Yeah. Um, And so all the anger will be directed there and then none at the codependent one where they'll agree with the codependent one. Like, yeah, he's a, you know, lazy scumbag, good for nothing you know, yeah. and th- th- then they'll ally, ally themselves with the mom, but then still feel very frustrated. Or right. that's, you know, that's that kind of covert narcissism though, where yeah. it's like, I'm going to like alienate you from the other parent and I'm oh, going yeah. to like, you know, control how you think about me by controlling yeah. how you think about that person, you know? And it's, it's funny because it's like, um, you know, when we think about narcissism and empathy we always seem to think of it as like different like prototypes of people but it's really not like we all are potentially narcissists and empaths we all have that within us um and really those things are on the same spectrum narcissism being one end empathy being the other it's almost kind of like I mean, it's like two sides of the same coin is what we're talking yeah. like, um, you know, at, at what point does empathy become, um, you know, like, um, you know, even cognitive empathy being yeah. manipulated to, to be covert narcissistic tactics. Yeah, because um, it can be totally toxic in that way that you're just talking about, you know. Yeah. And just because someone's an empath doesn't mean that they can't use a narcissist, uh, you know, uh, playbook. Yeah, in fact, they're quite versed in it usually. Yeah, because they they know so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the part of the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I cannot tell you how often I have clients in my tarot business and on my table who are recovering quote unquote, recovering from narcissistic abuse, you know, mm-hmm. or whose exes are narcissists. Yeah. And it's so pervasive that it is. It, 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 and I think it's because people that are empathic or highly sensitive are attuned to energy. And so they do come to energy healers a little more frequently. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So it's like, uh, you know, there's just such a rash of this that I, I started doing um, a little bit of research just saying like, what is this relationship yeah. between the narcissist and the empath? Like, what is it? And then kind of understanding like a narcissist actually preys on people who will see the light in them, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, it's that, that whole thing that like we were saying about like, you know, the narcissist has like the external, you know, like confidence yeah. or, you know, projected image, but the empath is the one a lot of times with the more like internal um, kind of attunement and everything. And it's like, they're totally drawn to each other for that reason. And yeah, like, you know, totally one of the most, I mean, one of the most common dynamics is the narcissist just completely milking the empath dry yeah, um, and exploiting them. And, and um, 
you know, even possibly abusing and beating them down in the process. Um, but yeah, it's, it is really interesting because in a way they're both kind of trying to leech off one another. Um, and it makes sense because for, you know, the, the, the empath who maybe, you know, grew up with a lot of, um, abuse and maybe has complex trauma and everything. I mean, probably they both do, but, um, I mean, that, that narcissist isn't going to even get anywhere near that, but the yeah. empath is maybe, you know, a little bit, it, it's maybe worn a little bit more on their sleeve that they, you know, have, have this, this more like, um, you know, they're, they're more fragile when it comes to their ability to, to assert themselves and everything. It's, it is in this, like, I, you know, it is a parasitic relationship, but that's not to say that anyone is bad or anything. Right. It's like, it makes sense why the empath feels like, please, I need a safe supportive structure. And that kind of looks like that because uh, confidence seems yeah. to no, you know, seems to, 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 yeah, just have a, a, an assured nature about themselves, you know? And the narcissist does provide a framework of love yeah. because the way to kind of, you know, get into a relationship is they do the things that look like a relationship. They're getting right. in there. And then the second there's intimacy, they're like, why are you a piece of shit? You know, like, yeah. they're just there. It's that love bombing thing where they really know how to manipulate um, and, and make you feel special. I mean, there, right. there isn't a narcissist out there that doesn't know how to make someone feel oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they're yes. so addictive. You know, if they were, it's the same thing that when people come into recovery, you know, um, it, sometimes it makes it sound like drinking isn't fun. You know, the whole reason that alcoholics drink is because they like to drink, you know, and the whole reason the empath seeks, you know, or continues to have a relationship with the narcissist is because the love bombing is so good. Yes. And it's so good and so methodical. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that person, you know, I, I think you're right in that narcissists know how to read people in the same oh, way yeah. empaths do. Yeah. yeah, they know your weaknesses, they know mm -hmm. your strengths, and that's why their their love and their pain mm -hmm. are so deep. Often, right? It's like you know, if they know that you are insecure about your body, for example, in the beginning of the relationship, they'll you know do all these things to show how you know supportive they are of yeah. of your body and how much they love it and everything, and then you can be guaranteed that that will be the thing that comes under fire when the tables turn and they will. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that frustrates me and, you know, I don't want to be too hard on um, the empath or the person who's abused by a narcissist, but I just, just naming the narcissist as an abuser can sometimes be very helpful for oh absolutely it's but so it doesn't end there it's no. like that's when you're <laughs> like you know a lot of people do end there though they're just like oh my ex was a narcissist and i'm done you know mm -hmm. and they leave but they never fix the underlying yeah. issue so the next time they may pick a covert narcissist or someone who's not so far out there 
they may see some red flags, but they keep falling into the same relationships over and over and over again, because underlying it is like what you said, it's complex PTSD, it's um, abuse from childhood. There's a lot of stuff underneath it. And it requires a lot of like very honest shadow work yeah. to go deep into that um, dynamic and where it comes from and how to stop it. Well, yeah, because I mean, honestly, even some of it starts to look a little bit ugly because yeah. a lot of times empaths, you know, perhaps they were raised in a narcissistic family. Yeah. So that means that the narcissism lives within them. It means that that's what tells them which partners to choose, for example, early on. And so that means that their choice in partners might be narcissistic right? Like I want, I want the person who is tall, dark, and handsome and accomplished. And it's like, are you going to be real about that or not? Um, that perhaps even the, the draw and the romance of it all was a little bit of a narcissistic fantasy. Oh my God. Yes. That is so good. <laughs> it's kind of like the fantasy of, um, what is that book that got was really famous the bondage book what do you know that book that was like <laughs> well, i didn't read it it because it's it was apparently bad oh 50 shades of gray oh, 50 <laughs> the bondage book isn't that what it is about <laughs> i don't even know it's like a really bad beat like not good bdsm yeah yeah, yeah. it was like that that whole thing is so <laughs> the narcissist and the empath right like, oh my god yes like, oh my oh, god this she's... guy who ignores me and who's rude to me and who's distant and cold and i'm gonna let him do whatever he wants to me and then maybe he'll marry me one day right and it's like this this amazing romantic fantasy oh my god like i would just love yeah. to have that happen like what she's literally <laughs> a gazelle trapped by a lion yeah like this is a predator. Yep. Yep. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, like for in that situation, like we're not saying that she is now a narcissist, but if, if she were to do some deep shadow examination, I think that she would realize that the voice that was telling her that he was a good choice is narcissistic. Right. Because he's the one everybody wants, but he's distant you know right, and, right you know you see that a lot like in um when people explain it like he was so handsome and he was paying attention to me mm -hmm. like they right. even describe it that way where it's like i'm i'm not as you know whatever i didn't think he would pay attention to me and then next thing you know this is a narcissist <laughs> right that's that's always the beginning of the narcissist story yeah but the real i mean the real i mean there are gifts in that though because there is something that like the empath doesn't really realize and it's like um i actually really like um tangled like disney the oh yeah yeah tangled movie um <clears throat> with her mom quote unquote <laughs> the narcissist mom yeah the narcissist mom that she has that like keeps her because like her hair has these like you know youth preserving healing magical powers yeah. and um 
you know, like the mom constantly kind of like degrades her and convinces her that like she can't, she's not safe to go outside and just like all these different things. Um, but that that's kind of the thing with the empath and the narcissist too, if that's the situation that's happened is that, um, you know, if you've drawn in uh, perhaps like a evil witch or evil sorcerer who wants something, then it means that there is something they want. Right, right there's something they want. And so you're there thinking, oh my gosh, this person's talking to me. And I, you know, I didn't even think that they would give me the time of day. Um, but in reality, how much of that is your reflection of what they were actually kind of thinking to some extent? Yeah. Um, because a lot of times that's why they're drawn in. They're like, I need to hook this person and for good reason. Yeah. One of the things that I, you know, for me is that I noticed that I'm like, I've had this in friendships, um, maybe even more than uh, intimate relationships. Right. Like even more. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I remember my therapist kind of going like, well, so why? Like, what are you attracted to about the person? And when I list out all the things that I'm attracted to, there are wonderful things, independence yes. and decisiveness and confidence and blah, 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 blah. But to me, like having grown up in an alcoholic family, like, I don't even know what real confidence looked like. Do you right. know what I mean? I only right. looked what, knew what narcissistic confidence looked like. Right. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I ended up marrying someone who's not a narcissist, who's confident. And that person never tells me how good they are. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. He just is good. He's just strong and he makes decisions and he doesn't feel the need to tell me repeatedly how good he is. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. That's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, the friendship thing was a hard one for me to understand because I was like, you know, I kind of feel like it, not that they were abusive, but like they were very, very painful to, yeah. to go through yeah well and um, I can say like I've I've had some close friendships that now looking back on it they genuinely were abusive and they were like they were like abusive boyfriends I mean even just in the level of you know isolating me from other friends um you know monopolizing my time things like that um yeah. that it's like I'm like wow you know and and that was the thing for me because when it was friendships I was like you know, if this were a boyfriend, I would, I would say this is an abusive relationship, but this is like my best friend or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, it's really hard to miss. Um, well, and I've even experienced it in the workplace too. Oh, for sure. Oh yeah. my gosh. Like uh, narcissistic coworkers and everything and the abuse that they can put you through. There. Yeah. That I think is probably where people who aren't empaths and who don't grow up in dysfunctional families run into narcissists most often. Oh yeah. Because they may be good at picking their partner, but then they go into this workforce and they're not picking the people they're working with, you know, they're just forced to be next to these super toxic people. And I get a lot of that too. People saying like, how do I protect myself against these toxic people at work? And it's like, dude, it's just you go work for yourself. Yeah. yeah. 
So let's talk about some things that narcissists do in relationship that can be like kind of those red flags. So I have like five things that I wrote down. <laughs> so um, they make you feel special. Oh yeah. That's and a good they one. Love them. Yeah. Yes. And that's so good too, because, um, you know, most of the red flags with narcissists, like they're going to be things that are either like easily mixed up because they look good or um, because they're so like, I don't know, like just foggy and whatever that it's like, it's, it's almost easy to miss if you're not good at like discerning your own feelings. Oh, and absolutely. so it's like, you know, that's what like the love bombing. I know um, even with love bombing, um, you know, more, more recently, I think I had a situation where someone was love bombing me and the way, and it's interesting because I've, I've had that happen in the past um, and I would be fooled by it, of course, because I didn't know, um, you know, especially in friendships, actually, uh, big time. But I had it happen in um, more recently. And it was interesting because now that I have done a little bit more work around this and become consciously more aware of it, like it actually felt gross from the start. Yes. It really did. I know. I, I used to work in like a corporation and I remember this person started and she was like, I feel like you're going to be my new best friend. And like, you're just, we have so much in common. I mean, this is like 12 hours after you know, I got to know her for the first time or whatever, 24 hours. It was like second day of her work. You know, she's telling me that we're going to be best friends and everything. And I just, it was like every hair on my body was standing up and I'm just like, I just don't move that fast. You know, like I need time mm. to get to know you. I'm more like an injured animal rather than, yes, I'll be your best friend. And I was because I didn't respond with like, yes, we're going to be best friends and go out drinking every night and blah, 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 tell each other secrets and braid each other's hair. Um, I was then like completely shunned from her. Yeah. So it was like hot and cold. That's another one I have written down. They play hot and Ooh, cold games. Yes, yes, you know? yes. Oh, that story is, oof. Yeah, you're exactly right though. Because like when I, when I was younger and I had been more conditioned for this yeah. stuff, like, I would be like, oh my God, that's so sweet of her. I know. Well, then even when I started to get to where like, eh, I don't like it. I was still like, yeah, but Kira, you're a bitch. If you're going to, you know, be mean to this really nice lady. That's, but, yeah. the, that's the part that's hard. And that's yeah. what empaths can't handle. Yeah. Is that's the narcissistic part of empaths. It's like, but my personal reputation, but like, what will people <laughs> think of me? You know? Right. Right. Where well, it's like, you know, I just got labeled like being the bitch, but you know, the truth is like, I'm here to work and I, you know, will, I love that friendships happen at work, but right. this when they how, happen, how I start work. Right. Oh my gosh. Well, and that's a whole thing that we've talked yeah. about too. It's like, <laughs> we were kind of talking about it before. <laughs> yeah. Like Here's there's work time. people like work is work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, but that's one of my downfalls of like life is that I'm not great at that. <laughs> I'm not great at faking things. <laughs> you know, if I'm unhappy, most people know it. 
Oh, I'm I'm starting to get there. I think I was a big old fibber with <laughs> with my emotions before, but no, I'm you know, it, it's funny too because it's like um you know, just just thinking about that like I mean, it, it really is deceptive. Um like when us empaths are not being honest about how we really feel, like that's that's deceitful. Yeah. I remember my uh, shamanic teacher said um, about everybody was talking about being an empath and she goes, you know, I want you, I want to ask you this and I really want you to think about it. I don't want you to answer, but she was like, what if feeling other people's emotions is unethical? Yes. You know, we're, we're taking away their ability to just be present in their emotions without having to tend to us, you know? Yes. And I feel that way all the time, like, especially after I lost my daughter, which was probably like my most intensely narcissistic period. Right. But it also made me highly attuned to how people like my needs. And so it wasn't, I mean, I, I hate to say it that way because, but I just think grief is narcissistic in, in, in its design. But, um, you know, when I would tell somebody, oh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm really grieving because my daughter died, they would start crying. And then I would be like, it's okay. <laughs> like, right. it's like your kid didn't even die. Like it was my kid that died. Like, mm-hmm. why are you crying over my loss? Mm-hmm. And I understood why it's so sad and they don't know what to say and they're feeling right. deep empathy. But on the other hand, it really took away my own grieving, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, it's like, um, I've had, I've had many instances like that. I even have uh, something more recent that's been going on where I've been, you know, breaking news to some people and everything. And it's like, it's one of these things. And it's funny too, because it's something that could be perceived as bad. And yet that's not how anyone who's actually in the situation feels about it. (laughs) And then there's all these people being like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And like crying and stuff. And I'm like, that actually feels really icky, prying and invasive yeah. and violating uh, because this is my thing, not yours. So yeah. could you please, like, you're allowed to have your own feelings about it, but please do that away from the people immediately impacted by this. <laughs> like, Amen. <laughs> I, I feel that way. Like, uh, you know, I was thinking about that the other day because I remember when I used to first, when I first started doing tarot readings and I would get a card, like the marriage card. And I would just be like, that person wants to get married. Like you're going to get married. And they'd be like, what? I'm not, I don't want to get married. And it's, you know, it was like me projecting my feelings onto them. And I, I started uh, looking at those cards and saying, how do you feel about marriage? (laughs) <laughs> instead That's of perfect i love know, it just like this is just a jumping off point but like it's funny because that totally is your approach like anytime yeah. we've like done readings <laughs> or anything you're like so how do you feel about yeah. <laughs> it's because like i don't want to project like my feelings of excitement about something are not necessarily somebody else's so right you know, if i'm um going through something you know um like for example if my doctor said i think it might be time to have a hysterectomy i would be like oh my god thank god i am so sick of having this uterus (laughs) i'm so fucking tired of it (laughs) 
<laughs> but like, you know, that would normally be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry for you. Right. They'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, just I take it. So I don't need this anymore. Like, <laughs> I swear to God. Yeah. It's so funny. All right. Other things narcissists do, they gaslight. So gaslight is a word that's uh, totally yeah. overused. Yeah. And but that is their their hallmark. It is. Well, and it's funny because gaslighting, like in the way that I've experienced it in my life, um, it actually, be, because of what it is, because it literally puts everything into a fog, it's like, it, it actually is really hard to tell sometimes when it's happening. Yeah. Because it usually isn't like this overt thing, you know, it's yeah. like, because there will be things like, um, you know, that will say that even like, kind of like, you know, we'll say immature ways of handling conflict, they'll say it's gaslighting, but yeah. like real gaslighting is much more insidious than that and really yeah. hard to spot. And is something that is like deep, like manipulation of feelings and mm -hmm. like sense of self and trust in the self. Um, and if you grow up right. in like a narcissistic family, it's something that it's like, it erodes the person, um, you know, from the get go. And it, it's, you know, in, in fairy tales, when, you know, like sleeping beauty is under a spell, like, that's what we mean, like that, they're under the spell of like, everything's normal, it's fine. Yeah, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, I, as a parent, I, I think it's like, parenting is taught you're almost taught to gaslight your children which is yes. like very difficult to like when i started noticing this it was like my child's like i am so sad that i have to go to school or i just don't want to go to school i'm afraid i'm like no you're not afraid you just don't want to go to school but they, maybe they are afraid maybe right. they are afraid of doing something they don't want to do and I've just said, no, you're not. That's a form of gaslighting. You're telling, you're basically trying to convince somebody to feel something else, you know, and that they can't trust their own emotions. They can't trust their, you know, add anything in there, even like hunger cues, like, no, you're not full. You need to finish eating everything on your plate. Like that's another right. way we gaslight children. Right. <laughs> but well, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, a lot of gaslighting, you know, even in families that maybe we wouldn't term as being completely narcissistic. It's like, it's the gaslighting just happens. I mean, it, it permeates our entire culture, which is narcissistic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Our society is narcissistic. Um, but yeah, it's like, it, it comes out in those ways of like constantly telling children to doubt their feelings and their mm -hmm. instincts and um yeah it it really um it really does a number on us but yeah. a lot of parenting methods of the past like yeah it really has been narcissistic abuse because when so it's like okay cool let's get rid of corporal punishment spanking which i agree we should but let's replace it with this like extremely toxic shaming narcissistic control yeah um you know so it's like okay you know then then we do that um exclusively um and it's like you know i mean a lot of times the corporal punishment would go with that too but it's like 
you know, some of the methods that they, they taught really were like narcissistic abuse. Totally. Um, yeah. And even now you, you know, you kind of hear echoes of it when you hear um, Gen Xers or boomers like kids today can't handle anything. Like we, yes. you know, and they'll start going on the long tirade of like how spoiled millennials and Gen Zers are. And I was just like, they're actually feeling feelings and they're not getting bullied anymore. And they're, you know, like they're not putting up with like, how are you thinking that this is okay? You know, but right. You know, in relationship, it really is destabilizing the partner, um, the partner's sense of sanity and perception. Mm -hmm. Right. So sometimes it's covering something like um, an affair by someone seeing, Oh, you got a text from a woman. It's like, you're so crazy you you're psychotic like you Mm -hmm. you really think that you're so jealous you really need help you know it's that kind of Uh thing (laughs) and it can go all the way up until like just destabilizing them in the sense of like whether they're beautiful or attractive or smart or capable or you know it 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 goes the whole length right so yeah absolutely um I know this sounds funny, but I was wondering, like, when we talk about personality disorders, like, could you talk a little bit about the difference between personality disorders and like neuroses or, do you know what I mean? Because I think, yeah. yeah, Well, like a, a personality disorder, like, you know, for example, like if someone's talking about, you know, like hormonal or seasonal or cyclical kinds of things that seem to be like a deeper internal psychological possibly like sort of thing going on, then that's going to be more of like, you know, we're talking like bipolar disorder, mood disorders, things like that, where it's like, okay, there's maybe you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is my theoretical perspective. Cause honestly, like I, I, I hate the DSM yeah. um, entirely, but what I will say is that what the, what the perspective is, is that like, those are things that potentially you, um, you know, there's maybe a chemical imbalance of some kind or something going on that you maybe can medicate or do other things to try to fix it. Whereas a personality disorder, although you can give, you know, medication or whatever to help with, you know, various other things like the depression or anxiety that might accompany it, it's more like patterns of personality that have formed as a result of, you know, like your upbringing and and personal experiences and stuff. So it's like someone who has, you know, borderline, narcissistic, um, antisocial, avoidant, et cetera, personality disorder, chances are, um, you know, like a, a psychiatrist or psychologist or therapist would give that, that um, diagnosis rather than say bipolar disorder if they felt that it was more related to like a, um, maladaptive coping strategies for a toxic upbringing. Right. Yeah. And so there's like clusters of personality disorders too that often mimic each other, right? Mm-hmm. Like borderline looks like narcissism at times, right? Yeah, cuz um you have the the cluster B personality disorders and that is borderline um narcissistic 
uh, antisocial. Um, I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting one. Um, histrionic. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, histrionic. That's the other one. There's and so, like they, <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of them can kind of like they're in a cluster together because when you know when you're narrowing down the diagnosis like when you're like okay i think we're dealing with the personality disorder and it's it's going to be these types um these are the ones that have like the most um interpersonal conflict and things like that yeah okay narcissists also use shock awe guilt grooming i guess those are kind of manipulations mm -hmm. they sort of fall under the gaslight thing but oh absolutely um, um yeah, because sometimes, um, you know, a narcissist will do something, you know, just awe-inspiring, right? Like they will, they will take you out on the most elaborate, fancy date ever yeah. and like do all these special things. Or in terms of like the shock, um, you know, they, they might do something really big violent rageful animated um to kind of like get your attention like um i think about this with um you know like when um abusers kind of use threatening suicide um to manipulate like that's that's their like shock tactic sometimes yeah. to like shock you into cooperating and, and doing what they want yep yeah. <laughs> i was in a relationship with someone who did that and I remember calling mm -hmm. um and asking um crisis intervention to check in on them right yeah and they were like we're not gonna check in on them because you're being abused and you need to never go back to that house you know yeah and I just, I had never thought about that because I had so many people who did that kind of manipulation in my life at the time. Right. Yeah. You were literally conditioned for yeah. it. That's yeah. what I tell clients. It's like, um, you know, a lot of us were, were trained like a dog, you know, like, like Pavlov's dog, a bell rings and we drool and we yeah. just like, yeah, we're like, that's, of course, this is just totally normal. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, you know, for, I guess more on the energy work end or the tarot end, like the kind of cards I see are like the eight of swords and the devil, um, the devil, right? Like I see those kind of cards, but like, how do you shift help um, someone shift? Well, I was even going to say just as an FYI to everyone, also the seven of cups massively i get for this yeah for narcissists interesting you know, narcissistic situations yep yeah it's I like it's all smoke and mirrors yeah that is so true especially because they're in the dark yeah yeah and it's like that. yeah yeah and all the the shiny things what do you want yeah 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 except for the um, part that you can't see which is you yeah yeah so what did you say <laughs> i don't know i mean like when people come in i do a lot of things like i do a lot of metaphoric shamanic work you know like yeah. uh cord cutting or um working on like getting free like yeah. i work with the concept of freedom a lot um yeah. with people and try to get them to work on their own mm -hmm. childhood stuff yeah. and the shadow stuff 
yeah um like what they get out of it yeah yeah i mean um you know definitely examining the shadow stuff in like whatever way this is because um you know there there is something deeper going on here in these situations and there is something you know big and complex that we need to address um internally but yeah i mean honestly like with with clients who have experienced a lot of narcissistic abuse like when it comes to um therapy or even doing things around um working with or um integrating aspects of the shadow um we're really talking about even just like things like like you said freedom um and a sense of of inner rage like getting back in touch with that because a lot of times um you know in these situations you have you know we we talked a lot about you know of course in the beginning we talked about when the that empaths are not always nicey nice but then we talked a lot about you know but a lot of times it is a narcissist abusing an empath or exploiting them but regardless of whichever way it goes like there's there's someone in this situation who is not in touch with their own like inner agency and like sense of power and a lot of that is attached to things like rage like can you get mad um that this is happening can you can you learn how to fight for your life basically um it's such a good point because i think sometimes you know when we are in codependent or you know we're in an empathy I should say an empathy swirl or whatever. It's hard to even know what you're feeling, you know, right? Because it's so dependent on what the other person is doing that, like, yeah. you first have to like figure out what am I actually feeling here. And anger is such a useful emotion in these cases. You know, rage yeah. is useful for shifting. Well, yeah. I mean, I was even just working with a client who was was saying things about this, like in in the context of a relationship and it's like well you know I feel like I don't want to do that or I don't want to have this role or um I don't like that but then but no but I I feel like then I'm saying he's a bad person and like but I I, you know he's not a bad person and it's like when we were talking about feeling feelings they were like well, I'm feeling my feelings. I'm feeling them constantly. And I'm like, but you're not because every time it tries to like, even just peek up to the surface to get some air, you're like, no, 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 he's nice. He's nice. He's nice. That falls so into this like storytelling thing that Mm -hmm. happens with emotions. It's the, the cognitive dissonance cannot exist you know so it's like if I feel love for that person they can't be bad you know right and so then there has to be a story that goes along with why that person was not nice you know and it has usually nothing to do with us that's the other narcissist right and you know that I I would say is also even sometimes the danger of some of these like you know situations where we're talking about the extremes of like empaths and narcissists like you know, because the reality is, is that most people who have experienced narcissistic abuse have been gaslit to hell and back. Yeah. And, you know, the last thing they need to do is doubt whether or not it was narcissistic abuse. Right. That being said, I think it's like important to also note that 
anytime we're viewing things in these major polar extremes, we need to be like, is this for real? Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, just like, we're like, oh my God, they can't be the bad guy. It's like, why are we even conceptualizing that there has to be a bad guy all the time? Yeah. Sometimes we can feel emotionally depleted, violated, et cetera, by someone, but they are not a bad guy. Yeah. You know, and sometimes they are. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's the, that's the hard part is, you know, when I am seeing a client, like, obviously I'm not doing therapy, but when I'm seeing a client, they're telling me their story. Mm-hmm. And so I'm taking their story. So to me, oh. they're sounding narcissistic, right? The right. And we're person. like, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you go, okay, well, you know, if, if this person is truly has narcissistic personality disorder, um, it's very difficult to treat. You can't, you're not going to make that better. They have to go do the work and you need to do your work. So you basically have to go no contact and never talk to that person again. And they go, but what, but what? Like, I no, you know, they're like, they don't want to do that. And that's where it gets into trouble where, you know, you're like, well, maybe they're not telling me the whole story, you know? Um, because for me, uh, you know, if somebody told me this person's not capable of experiencing empathy, compassion, or even love for you, that would be enough for me to be like, okay, then I am not going to spin my wheels here. Right. Exactly. And you know, that's, that's the funny thing too, is that, you know, with this idea of like good guy, bad guy, it's like, again, with this idea that no one has, like, maybe someone doesn't have to be either is like, maybe that is actually what gets us like spinning like oh, are they are they not are they are they not and it's like what if we just don't and we just say you know what I don't like it and that's enough yeah yeah so true <laughs> like it doesn't feel good no and that is enough well I'm glad we talked about this me too I've been wanting to do it and I have you know I've had that come up with some of my clients lately and yeah. I thought oh gosh this would be good oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, and I'm like I'm super stoked um, on to see that more people are talking about this. Yes. Thanks for listening to Centered with me, Angie Yinkst. If you'd like to send me a question or comment about this show or any shows, you can send them to Angie at themoonandstone.com.